Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Survivor's Podcast. I have my co-host, Juliana, here. We have a very special guest, Melissa. Um, if you want to tell us a little bit about your history growing up in the Kingston group. Well, um, like you said, I'm Melissa. My parents are Mark and Suzanne Hansen. Um, my dad is an attorney for the Kingston group. My grandparents are Malvern and Bernice Hansen, who left the Kingston group in the 80s. And they're, our Malvern's parents are the ones who joined back in the 1930s. His um, mom was, oh, what was her name? Grandpa Francis and Grandma, um, I can't even remember her name now. <laughs> she, she died years before I was born. So, but they're the ones who joined the Kingston group. And I think it was really a way to survive the Depression. See, and that's what we've talked about before. And that's kind of the sense, it was a sense of community, right? Especially during that time. So they were essentially converts to the Kingston group. They Were they LDS before? I'm not sure, but I do know that she was the one that was religious. He wasn't. He okay. wasn't the one that was religious. Because when they were starting, Eldon would go out, not as a missionary, but he would gra- gather people, right? Yeah. So that's just wondering. Yeah, probably because they lived down in Emory County. So he probably met somebody down there who told them about it okay so um so where do you where'd you grow up i grew up in rose park okay and your dad what did your dad do he was an attorney correct yeah so at, he went to law school after he goes to law school he is just going to work for the kingstons or well at first when i was younger he worked for a law firm in downtown salt lake and it was probably in my teens when the situation changed so um, Paul Kingston had told him that he needed to start working solely for the order and that, you know, he'd be taken care of and have plenty of work, which, of course, is not what happened. Right. So about how many lawyers did the order have under their wing? At that time, probably only three. But there's more now? Yeah, there's plenty more now. Um, there is an article I've read that your dad is the spokesperson for the tr- the church, right? It was I think it was the... When they were raiding the Washakie Renewable or something. Yeah. And your dad was, he was like, I'm the I'm the attorney for it. And this never happened and stuff like that. So yeah. when you read that, what do you like? Well, my dad, he does contract law. So that's what he does. And um, there's plenty of things in the Kingston group that happens. Like like with the statements. Um, You know, Juliana, mm-hmm. how like after they save so much, then it gets put into a second account or whatever. Yeah, you know about that. My my dad won't do that with his family. He does not allow that to happen. It always stays in that account where it can be seen because he believes. Or what came across to me is that that was wrong and that was illegal, and he wasn't going to let it happen in our family. So, my my dad is a lot different than other people when it, especially when it comes to the law. He wants to make sure that his family was abiding the law as much as possible. Um. At what point do you remember growing up and being and que- start questioning what you were taught? I think I always had, but it wasn't really hard questioning things until my teens, until after um, the first time, you know, that that engagement got broken off. And so that was kind of the, the not the tipping point, but that was kind of the starting point where you were like, oh, yeah, interesting. All, all growing up, you're taught, you know, you're supposed to get married, you know, find out who the Lord has for you and have kids with them. And, you know, I 
you know, was praying about it. I always thought, so the person that I got engaged to when I was 16, I always thought before that he was going to marry my sister, Stephanie. (laughs) I always thought it. And then when he came forward and talked to me, you know, I was surprised and he was a nice person. And so, you know, I felt like it would be a good fit and a good thing to do. And, you know, direction's supposed to come in many ways. But, you know, after leaving and knowing all the feelings, it's really just emotions that people right. go through. Yeah. So um, I was engaged to that person when I was 16 for about three months. And during that engagement, he got engaged to another girl from a different group. She was from the Jessup group. At, and I guess they had kind of been courting before that. And... So they got engaged without my knowledge or permission, and so I called off the engagement. Um, since then, he has several times apologized. He knows the way that things happen wasn't right, and he feels like that I'm a good person, and I totally, fully accept his apology, and I know that if he had to go back and do it again, he would have handled things differently. So. Okay. Um, talk about your, your little venture of leaving for a brief time. So after that engagement um, fell through, I that's when I started questioning things like how could that even happen? How would the leader allow that to happen and not include me in it? That I felt like there was a double standard. And I said that to Paul once. I said, I feel like there's a double standard that guys can go date. So he was apparently courting a girl that wasn't in the church, but I couldn't. You know, me being a girl, I couldn't go find a guy from another date in court and bring him in. And I told him there's a double standard. He's like, no, there's not a double standard. And I mean, what's the definition of a double standard that they're allowed to do something, but I'm not? (laughs) Yeah, what if I said that the Lord directed me to do it? It would still be no. Yeah, because you're a woman. Yeah, guys can bring girls into the church, but girls can't bring guys into the church. I've never even seen it done, have you? Juliana? No, um, I know... um... A person that came into the order that was a guy, but he didn't get married. Um, I can't remember his name. You're talking about Brent Spencer. Yes, that's who. Yeah. He was, he got his membership. He, but it wasn't because he, someone wanted to marry him and bring him in. Yeah. He had his, fa- some he, of his family was he there. Was, no, he joined, he was friends with the Jenkins and the Jenkins brought him in. He, when, well, before, before that first engagement, I had, I felt like I had direction on him, on Brent. So I know a lot more of that situation. He was, but isn't he, um, Melody, Melody, Melody's brother, Brent? I I think that they. I think they are. I think, and he does come from. He does come from polygamy. Polygamy. He does. So yeah, he he joined and he married another, a girl from, and I think the polygamous group he came from. But he he married somebody else from that kind of same situation and brought her in. So, How does it work, yeah. though, coming from another polygamist? Like, do the Kingstons accept that? Well, when it came to him, I think he was the only one that I knew of at that time. Since I have left, then um, Tom Green's, like, entire family has joined. But Who's Tom? Is Tom that... Green, he's the one who, he was, like, on Oprah and stuff, and he got thrown in jail because of welfare fraud. And my dad said, you know, before I overheard him saying that if he would have been quiet, he would have never gone to jail. It's because he was out there bragging about, you know, his family all being on welfare. (laughs) 
but well that'll do it i think his situation if i remember right i may be wrong was um the bigamy it was he was married to one person would legally divorce them marry the other person but still spiritually be married to the other one so i think everyone he married legally but he divorced one married the next one divorced and married the next one is what i think but i don't quote me on that i could be wrong (laughs) i just don't get the purpose of that of the marrying and divorce. Yeah. Because then they got to say that they were married to him. So it's for money or just for saying? Probably just for saying, being able to take the last name legally and. Oh. But then, you know, divorcing them, they still can keep that last name and have the kids with the last name. But I thought the, the Kingston group was more about the second wife wouldn't keep the first name because for yeah. government um, issues. That, that, he wasn't a part of the Kingston. Yeah, he wasn't at the time. At the he kind of started his own type thing. And. Kind of just really with him and those women. <laughs> oh, but yeah, it just takes so, one person. Yeah, which is kind of interesting because like it just took Eldon. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, one person can change the the history for a certain amount of people. Yeah, and so, um, do you remember when you were growing up and you went to church in, down in Salt Lake at the warehouse building? It's not even a church building, right? What do you remember being taught? gospel wise so gospel wise see that's kind of the issue me stepping away from not even going to the lds church because looking through things the kingston's thought about the kingston's they talked about their history how it started how you know eldon was a prophet and how it sprung off of like it's an arm off of the lds church and then whenever i've gone to the lds church it's about joseph smith joseph smith started it and not about jesus or really the lord it was all about that person that started that church that they were a prophet and whatnot and so yeah when i remember back about being taught in the kingston's it's always about them about the kingston family about eldon and you know ortel and paul and how it went from one person to another and the different things like the the beet farms and how they survived and those type of things the coal mine the different businesses that helped them to bloom and blossom and become more wealthy and successful instead of about the gospel. Yeah. So, I mean, do they even use, like, do they even talk about Jesus? They have the Book of Mormon in the Bible, but a lot of the time that was in Sunday school, you were, you know, told that you needed to go read this part of the scriptures for your Sunday school, like homework. And then it was always how it tied back into the Kingston's. Right. That's what everything always tied back into the Kingston somehow that there was different prophecies in there. And, oh, that person in the prophecy was really Eldon. It wasn't, you know, who it was in the the Book of Mormon. Oh, geez. It was always tied back. <laughs> Interesting. See, I have a note here written. Um, the Kingston's focus on plural marriage and building their own brand of united order. Yeah. Does that sound about right? Yeah. And, and that's one thing. Um, that we just went through with my custody hearing with my kids is that my children were being taught this illegal lifestyle and we wanted it to stop. And part of that was part of the them going to the Kingston group and my ex and his brother (laughs) um, got up on the stand and said, the church does not teach polygamy. I'm like, yeah, it does every single time in Sunday school. And, how Eldon got his first wife and his second wife and how the Lord directs those things. And 
I and other people that I've talked to that have since left remember being told in Sunday school that to get to the highest kingdom of heaven, the guy must have three wives. Like, I remember being taught that, and other people I've talked to remember that as well. But apparently it's changed over the years. Are they trying to be more secretive about it, or they're that's just not a trying, focal point? It's, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure. It's, it's interesting. Um, when you, uh, when you decided to start to leave, you were at what age? When the first time? No, <laughs> the, the official, t- the final time. The final time? Yeah. I was 27. Okay. So before that, let's talk. So you had an engagement. You were able to break it off. Is that a rare thing, Juliana? Is that a rare thing to be able to break off an engagement? I would say so. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it is. Most people don't. I'm sure it happens. But yeah, it is rare. And so how long after did you start thinking, okay, I, I actually do need to be married? So um, after that engagement fell through, I met somebody online and you know started talking to him and getting close to him and um, ended up running away and living with him for a couple of weeks. I was in my senior year of high school. So it well, I guess I wasn't a senior. I was in my 11th grade, but I graduated a year early. So it was my last year of high school. And after a couple of weeks with him, I really just got homesick. I missed my family. And my sister had, my older sister, Stephanie, had left a couple of years before. And so I called her and I said, you know, I really didn't want to go back. I didn't want to have to go to the Kingston group and I wanted to be out of it. And so I lived with her for a few months, her and her husband at the time, and she was pregnant with her first kid. And after a couple months of living with them and things happened with her husband, (laughs) and she ended up moving to a different place while he went to get some help that he needed. And so I went back and was living at home. And it was probably about a year later is when I got engaged to my children's father. So it took about a year for me to be okay being back in the group and, you know, just, I mean, I guess that wanting to be married part never went away because that's what I wanted with the person that I ran away to be with. And that's what he wanted too. And, you know, I'm the one who left him and went back to be with my sister but still kept trying to talk with him, you know, until I turned actually 18 because I was still 17 at the time. Yeah. And one of the reasons that I did go back was my parents threatened me that, you know, if I didn't, then they were going to go after him for statutory rape. And of course I loved him and didn't want anything bad to happen to him. So I figured, you know, what's another year. (laughs) Right. So you were thinking, okay, I'll give it one more year and then I can officially leave. Is that what you were thinking? Well, I I figured I could wait till I was 18, but then I just got in the routine of I was still living at my parents, but I was working. So I was working full time and working a graveyard shift. Don't know if you've ever worked a graveyard shift. No, my mom did. And she's told me all about it. Your body is so tired. I go to work, come home, sleep, get up, eat, go back to work. It's abnormal. Like like that's how it was. So it didn't really feel like I had time for anything else. So it was just working all the time, working and sleeping. And 
you know, several people came and asked to talk to me and they were married and I didn't want to be in that kind of relationship. And then it was April of 2000 and, or sorry, it was February of 2003 when my ex-husband asked me to marry him or brought himself forward, whatever you want to call it. It's not even an engagement, huh? We've yeah. talked about this. It's there. That's not even the right word. Yeah. Um, Presented himself as an option, I would say. <laughs> I've been told that I should marry you. Yeah. God told me. That I had direction on you. Right. Dire- oh, direction <laughs> on you. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to guess less than two months you got, you got married. You get engaged and married. Yeah, it was a month and a half. And where do you get married? We got married at the warehouse in Taylorsville. I was actually, it was the first marriage that they had in that warehouse. Before that, it was standard they were using. So I, oh. it was the first one, and then they started doing church shortly after. And then how how does the wedding ceremony go? Is it different for a first wife than it is a second wife? Yeah, because the first wife can get to have that legal ceremony. So I have family, you know, that I stated before, like my grandpa who left in the 80s. So we had two ceremonies. So... I believe we did the the spiritual one first earlier in the morning and then did lunch. And then after lunch, we did the legal one. So that way my grandpa could come to it and my aunt and other friends from school that I still talk to and things like that. Since your sister left, did your sister co- get to come to it? Yeah. Okay. Um, who performs the, the spiritual wedding? Usually the father. Okay. So my dad's the one who performed it, and Paul was there as well. And who does the civil wedding? Um, it's usually Bill Stoddard. He's, um, a, what is that called? The license, whatever that can sign the marriage certificate. Okay. The officiant. He's part of the king. He's a he's yeah. a Kingston. Um, is there like a um, a reception after, like a celebration? For our first wedding, there usually always is. So, For the yeah, first we wife? Had a, we had a reception, and they have a reception where, like, they usually have a drink and some little snack, and then a program where different people sing. So everybody's in chairs and watching a stage where people sing for the, the new couple, and people give their, you know, whatever thoughts that they may have on it, that, yeah, that they knew what was going to happen. They had direction on it, too, type of stuff. And then the couple, you know, thanks everybody for coming and the people that helped them. And then it switches over to a dance. So Okay. So it's it's kind of like dance. a typical, like even an LDS wedding reception. Except for, I guess we don't get up, not most of them get up and talk, but we'll do a dance right after, right? Celebrate after. Yeah. Um, I've been told that the sex is not talked about in the group. Yeah. Is that the same with your family? Um. <laughs> my sisters are different oh <laughs> <laughs> in our own family like at my mom's house and yeah it, it's my sisters would talk my sisters educated us <laughs> oh, okay so because because but, not everybody is but couples don't sit there and talk about stuff no. right and, and they also teach you you know that you're not supposed to have sex unless you can get pregnant so really yeah um, so the wedding night, what was your expectation? Um, I don't know. I, 
I guess when I had ran away, I had already lost my virginity. And um, my now husband didn't know about it because I, when I started going back to the El- or the Kingston church, then I did meet with Paul. I talked to him about what happened. He told me I needed to repent. I repented. He forgave me. He said it wasn't something I needed to bring up because I repented for it. And so I didn't tell my husband at the time. And so I kind of already knew what to expect. So since I married him, I was going to be his wife. And I told him it was fine to to proceed that night. Okay. (laughs) Um, Do you remember, like... I guess for me, if I was like to be married into like, I guess I would just, it's just, you just follow the routine, right? Yeah. So you didn't really even, it's just whatever happened kind of would happen. Yeah. Um, so you guys get married and then you live, you live together cause you're the first wife. Yeah. And, um, how many wives were you the only wife when you were there? I was his only wife at the time when I was with him for our whole marriage. Yeah. Okay. So. Let's get into how you felt about your husband taking another wife. How hard was that? Um, What experiences did you have with that? Well, I never wanted to be in a plural situation. I mean, my dad was only ever married to my mom. And I felt like that from everything that I'd seen growing up, that they out of anybody I saw had a better relationship than anybody in a polygamous relationship. And I always saw how hard it was for the women. Like I was working at AAA communications with you. Yeah. And going to those work meetings where Mm -hmm. Daniel was there. We told you. We would all be sitting in the back and the wives that were there, like pretty much all of his wives worked there around a table Fighting over his attention had nothing so, to do with work. It had I to do remember, with fighting. I remember going to those meetings, and I don't know if you caught. I mean, it would be all of his wives, and Daniel would just like tear into these women, mm-hmm. be like, "Oh, you did this, you did that," like, and it wasn't anything to do with them in a sexual way or like it was the business, like a business yeah. meeting. But he like was really mean to them, and I thought, you know. How could how could you love someone that tears you down so much? Yeah, he was really mean to them, which caused them to be mean to each other and yeah. basically blaming everything on everybody else, trying to make themselves look better in his eyes. Yeah. Because how, how would you feel if your husband felt like you were doing a bad job? Mm-hmm. Like in anything, you always, I mean, we were taught to always please our husband. In every aspect, you know, whether it be work or sexually or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, how are you supposed to feel if he was cutting you down? You're going to, when you're just working with the other wives as managers over people, you're going to cut them down because you want to make sure you look better. I wouldn't be surprised after those meetings, some of the girls go in the bathroom and cry. Oh, I'm sure that I'm sure that I I would have. If If I was in a room with my husband and he did that to me, I would have. I probably would have went to a room and cried. I probably would have left in, like, the meeting. Pretty much us that were not married to him would sit on the back wall. Yeah. Including Bridget, though. 
yeah, Ellen. Ellen. She'd be the only one that was his wife that was sitting against the wall, not participating in <laughs> in the, the the yelling and screaming. She, she knew. Yeah, but I, I saw that. I saw that several times with every company I worked for in the Kingston Group. If there was more than one wife working together, they were always fighting, trying to make themselves look better for him. Didn't matter anything else. It was always fighting over him. And I never wanted to be in that situation. And it was two months after I got married where he brought up that he wanted to marry somebody else. And it's kind of like, think of that from somebody else's perspective that isn't in this type of community. You just got married and your husband wants to go to a bar to meet up with other chicks. Like... It makes you feel like you're worthless, that you did something wrong, that you aren't doing what you need to. And yeah, every single time he would bring up another girl's name, it made me feel like I wasn't worth it, that I didn't do what I was supposed to. And everybody in his family always thought that he would be the one to live that lifestyle because of me, because of the type of person that I was that I was nice to everybody, I was welcoming to everybody, and they would tell a story of, I believe it was Wendell's dad, his third wife, married into the family, and they said it wasn't because of that husband, it was because of the way that his second wife treated her, that she married into that family because of that other wife, and they suspected that that's what would happen with our family because none of Wendell's other kids, none of the boys married, had polygamous wives. None of them. Mm, they do now. They do now. Yeah. <laughs> but you also yeah. have to realize I was married for almost 10 years and yeah. his older brothers were married for years before that, you know, at least 10 years before that. So they always figured that we would be the first ones to live that way because of me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you don't. I mean, I guess in the background, <laughs> I would kind of sabotage things because I didn't <laughs> want to live that way. You know, I talked to different people that we went and talked to and said, you know, like, I really don't want to live that way. And, you know, whether it not be right or if it is right, I don't feel like I can handle it. And so, of course, I would get depressed because of how he would act when that girl decided to marry somebody else or I had direction that girl was going to marry somebody else and they married that other person and it was more of I got put down that I didn't do what I was supposed to to help make sure that he got another way. You know, it shouldn't be that way, especially if they're going to teach you that God directs who you're supposed to marry. I don't think that you're supposed to be out there courting girls. If that's the way that they're mm-hmm. going to teach it, and if I didn't do something right, you know, maybe, you know, she didn't get the same direction. It's all well, in God's maybe hands, he apparently. didn't do something right. Come on. Yeah. Or maybe no. it's just not what God intended, and that's mm-hmm. what they need to look at it. Okay. Know? So what kind of brought you to the point of where you're, you're done? Like, you're done dealing with him courting all these girls? You're, I mean, essentially losing faith in your religion. Well, things with him started really a couple years before I left him. 
he was starting to be kind of creepy with one of my nieces. And she was like 12. And her parents saw it. And I saw it. And I I chose to ignore it. I chose mm-hmm. to back up my husband because that's what was supposed to happen. And, you know, my, my sister saw it. My sister to this day will say what she saw. That me and him and his brother and his brother's wife went on a trip to Hawaii when it would have been 2008. And during this time, he's sitting there emailing my niece saying, you know, I wish we brought you to babysit. And we had brought um, my brother-in-law at the time's sisters or wife's sisters to come babysit for us. So they brought a babysitter for their baby and we brought one of them to babysit our kid as well. And he was sitting there saying, you know, I wish that you were here instead of these guys. And it really didn't, it really turned it into that they were courting these girls and we didn't know it. <laughs> so one of the brothers was after one of the sisters and the his wife was okay with it. And my husband at the time was after one of these girls. And I got stuck watching my kid the whole time on a trip to Hawaii. You know, our five-year anniversary and... I was watching my child. I mean, why wouldn't you just leave the kid at home? Well, I took the kid because his brother said that his wife needed the kid to be there, that she was going to, you know, get depressed that the kid wasn't. So she wanted to bring her sister to babysit. And, you know, once we, one of the days my kid got sick, so I stayed behind and her kid, she felt like she just wanted to kind of take a break and stay behind for a while too. And we got to talking, and no, it wasn't her that wanted to bring the kid at all. Yeah, I was going to say, any mother that's like, oh, we're going to Hawaii, honey, yeah. like, let's take our baby with us. That's, yeah. No, that, that's not. Yeah, but so at this time, he's sitting there also messaging my niece, because my niece and me would email, mm-hmm. and he was getting on my email, sitting there saying, you know, how they wish that some of more of the family could have come, and but he was sitting there saying, I wish you were here instead of these girls because even though they're 16 and 18, that they're immature compared to her being 12 years old. She acted more mature than them. And, you know, that that started to make me sick. But I always put it in the back of my mind because this was my husband, you know. And mm-hmm. then just over the years, he kept bringing up girls' names saying, you know, you know, I feel like I had direction on this person or that person. They'd always choose somebody else, and it got to the point in the last year that we were married that he was going after girls 12, 13, and I mean, even some that were of legal age, but he just started basically going after everybody he possibly could that was single. So the Kingstons claim, oh, we don't marry under 18, but yet your husband is courting all these girls that is not even close to 18. Yeah, and um, after, you know, he started courting the last two girls, he had a meeting with Daniel, and Daniel told him that he had a start when the girls were 12 and 13, so that way by the time that they were 18, the girls have basically brainwashed into their head that that's who they're supposed to marry. And looking back on it, I see that a lot with a lot of my cousins, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of um, well, I'm not going to say her name because I don't have permission. Yeah, no. But there's like, what, four or five daughters from one of my 
great aunts who all married the same guy. And also <laughs> other girls that are married to the leader. And basically, I, I saw it where their moms were like, that's who you're supposed to marry. You're supposed to marry the leader. You're good enough to marry him. And basically drill in their head their whole life that mm-hmm. that's who you're supposed to marry. That it's not really direction. It's brainwash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it really is. And I guess I'm lucky in my family that my parents didn't do that, especially with my older sisters. My older sisters have a different father than I do. And they just, they kind of were rebellious. <laughs> they kind of courted their husbands, if if you would. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they got a marry who they chose and i think that they're happier for it (laughs) but you know every relationship has their issues but from what i can see on the outside looking in they they have some issues but their husbands do care for them and take care of them okay so but yeah it was after that meeting with daniel and my ex just going after these younger girls it just made me so sick that that's when i really started praying um, because I I was really a, a holier than thou type person. I prayed about everything, and I started praying really hard about the polygamy part of it. And one day it popped into my head. It said, "God doesn't command the easy thing to do." It is so easy looking out in the world, especially from the situation that we were in, that people cheat on each other. You know, it's, it's hard for me to. I, I'm now married to a different man and love him to death and would never cheat on him. And it's definitely not in his nature to cheat. But I know so many people that do and have and open relationships and whatnot that, in my opinion, and what popped in my head is that cheating is easy to do. God does not command the easy thing to do. So why would God command you to cheat on your wife? You have a wife. Your first wife is your wife. Why would he command you to pursue other women? Is that not cheating? Like, if you're looking from the Kingston Group's perspective to somebody that is cheating, are they really doing anything different than you're doing? No. Like, no. That they're really not. So why would God command you to do something that's just so easy, so word- worldly to do? You're supposed to be higher than that, right? Yeah, and, and the word worldly is almost a sin to even say, right? Yeah. But you're doing the same thing that these other people are doing, but but it's because it's because it's from God that it makes it okay. Yeah. In their mind. In their mind, yeah. Right. Um so tell tell the story of how you were able to kind of get up the courage to to decide to finally leave, and how does that come about? Well, I had been thinking about it from July of 2012 to when I actually was able to leave and stay away in September of 2012. Um, reading statistics, I guess it usually takes up and somebody about six or seven times to actually leave. They'll try a few times and either stay or leave. So over that couple of months, there was a few times where I went to stay with my mom because she was going through chemo and several times heading back home where I just would stop the car and think about staying and even once drove to my sister's house and just said, I I can't go back. 
Like, I can't go back down there. And at that time, she she was actually staying at my house a week on, week off, because she was driving trucks down in Emory County. And she just, like, had me call my husband at the time. I called him, told him that I just couldn't do it anymore. And, you know, he talked to me, told me, love me, you know, sweet talk, whatever. And I'd go back home. And finally, we... He was after two girls, two sisters, and one of them was as young as 13. And the other one was 17, almost 18. And we went to one of the Kingston dances, and he, you know, he wanted to stay at the dance. I wanted to go back to my mom's, and because we lived in Emory County, we'd stay at my mom's every other weekend and go to the church functions. And so he wouldn't go because he wanted to see these girls and dance with them you know to make sure they kept in their mind that he's an option basically and he always seemed to be more aroused after seeing these girls and so I went back to my mom's house after the dance after he was able to dance with them and we after the kids were asleep he kept trying to touch me and I kept telling him that I didn't want to and even at one point, he just kept touching me, and I had tears rolling down my face, and he raped me. So because I was his wife, he does not consider it rape. After I've left, I left a week a week later, my mom had her last chemo treatment. And, you know, I didn't know what to do. You know, I don't think a lot of people <laughs> would know what to do in that situation. And reading back on it, like statistics and stuff, um, I had left a week later. A week after that, he he filed something in the courts, and I wanted to get the divorce, and we were just separated at the time, and he filed things basically saying that I couldn't go after the 150000 that we had saved, that it was a donation to the Davis County Co-op, and that's what they do. Every Everything's a donation to the Davis County Co-op. Nobody has any money, even though they're allowed to use it. <laughs> you know, it, it's a donation. And so during that court hearing, his um, attorney, well, out in the hallway before going into the court, his attorney told me, his attorney, Laura Fuller, <laughs> I'll say her name, she threatened me. She told me that I was going to give them what they wanted or she was going to take my kids away. And I didn't get served these papers till the night before, so I hurried and found an attorney to be there because I had never been to court before, never knew what to do. And they were basically saying they had all this stuff about me that I was cheating on him and just just all these different things. So I had a recant on my rape, which I did. He was going to be going to therapy. I was going to therapy and we were going to co-parenting counseling. And so I did. I went to, I recanted I went to therapy. He went to therapy a couple of times from what I can tell, but didn't continue to go. And we went to co-parenting counseling. And it took a couple months before he would finally file the divorce papers. Because after I asked him not to bring anybody else into it, and that's immediately what he did, showed me that he didn't want to work on things. He really just wanted to be in control. He didn't want to be with me. And he did not respect me. And he, to this day, still says that he doesn't rape me or didn't rape me. But he, the, the first week when I was gone, he was, 
I went and I hid. I used holding out help. I got a hold of them, and they helped get me to a safe place to be able to stay until, you know, I got on my feet. And during that week, uh, I didn't talk to anybody. I took the battery out of the phone, took the SD card out of the phone, everything to make sure that they couldn't find me. And the first night I left, then he and my mom had called the cops saying that, I was on drugs or something that the kids weren't safe. And so they called the person that helped me who my parent, my mom saw help come and physically help me get the kids in my car. And so I called, called the cops from a payphone and told them, you know, answered their questions and told them what was going on. And they basically told me what I had to do to not get in trouble that I needed to go to a payphone every day, call them, tell them that, I'm okay. The kids are okay. And even let him talk to the kids if, you know, I wanted to. And then just hang up the phone, walk away. So I did that for the first couple weeks. And I had a friend that was helping me, you know, kind of get on my feet. And it was a guy friend. And he really just was there to help me get on my feet. And my ex still tries to say I was cheating with that person. <laughs> but, but of course, I wasn't. It was a bad situation. And I needed support where I could. You know, and I mo- mostly needed that emotional support. And it was a Monday when me and this friend took my kids to um, one of the places that has like little kids rides and stuff. And I got served there. He had a private eye following me. So what? I was like, are you serious? Like, how did you know where I was? And he's like. You know, I'm a private eye and I'm a constable, so I'm here to serve you these papers for court tomorrow. And that's what I didn't know what to do. So oh my gosh. I took my kids back home, went and me and my friends started scrambling, calling any attorney's office we could until we could get a hold of somebody. Got somebody there for an expensive fee that was going to do a showing up at court one time. And that person did nothing. Like he basically just told me to give into their demands. I'm like, but I just left the Kingston group and it's known to be the most violent group to get out of. I mean, things that happened in the past, right, <laughs> Liana? It's it's the yeah. most violent group to, to get out of. And But once you get things in the court system, then you don't really have to worry about it because now there's, now there's a process going on and people's watching it. And during that week, he was going over to my parents' house every day saying, here's what's happening. She's cheating on me. Look at these emails. And But he also made the mistake of telling my mom that I didn't realize how good he was at hacking and falsifying things. He sent emails from my email to other people of pictures that he had of me, his wife, you know, had, he's my husband. He had naked pictures of me. And he sent these pictures to other email addresses and then try to say that I was cheating on him oh and gosh. had deleted all of my emails. So I, I didn't realize that he, you know, hacked into my emails. He deleted everything I had. So I couldn't prove whether I sent something or not or when it was sent because now it's all gone. Oh. You know? And so basically, I just always kept giving into his demands, just giving into it. And that week, he also told my parents what happened that night. I told my parents what happened that night at their house, and he told them what happened that night at their house. To me, it was rape. To them, it was rape. He didn't consider what he did to be rape because he was my husband. And he told them word for word what I said happened 
and he still doesn't think that what he did was wrong. I don't think he ever will. Yeah. (laughs) The Kingstons don't admit anything they do is wrong. Yeah. But he told it to my parents and even have a written statement from my dad of what happened and my dad being an attorney. My dad wrote down what happened and he said, sorry to say, here's the law. Whether if it wasn't rape, it was, you know, some sexual, you know, molestation going on. Non-consensual sex. I mean, you say no, that's rape. Like, to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And my dad's like, yeah, he said that you were crying and you said no. And so what he did is what I said he did. And I, I mean, yeah, he was my husband, but that was not okay. So, no. So yeah, that that's what really pushed me was how could this person that I love and married to do that to me, you know, just because he saw some fourteen year old girl or thirteen year old girl, whatever, just made me sick. Did you ever confront him with those feelings of this only you only act like this when you see these young girls or feel a certain way? Yeah, he just kind of just blows it off and wouldn't say anything about it. How many kids did you have when you left? We had four. Oh, you, you had four? Mm-hmm. In a matter of, in 10 years? Well, four kids under the age of five. Holy. <laughs> <laughs> See, and that, to me, that's crazy, but that's, that's what you're supposed to do in yeah. the Kingston group. Um, how, all the, how, are, how are all your kids now? Oh, the kids are great now. Awesome. They have, I'm remarried and my husband has four kids that are older than mine. So his start where mine, or his stop right where mine start. And my oldest is now 10. So the oldest is 10 and the youngest of five of mine. And then of the other four, the oldest is 17 and the youngest is 10. Oh, wow. So That's a big family. It's great when they're, when they're all together or not, but they're a lot happier when they're all together. Yeah. Do you have any advice for any anybody that wants to leave polygamous group? Just that they can do it. There's help out there. I mean, people can find me on Facebook if they want. I've been through things. I know the hardest part, I think, is having feeling like you have a family or you have community. And that's something that I learned after I left, that your family is who you make it. I The first job I had when I left was at a daycare because I wanted to be with my kids. And so I decided I was going to work at a daycare, and those women are still my family. I, I love them to death. They came to my wedding, and they are my family and will always be my family because they're there for each other. And there's people out there that can be your family, be your support system. There's people that want to help. Don't, don't take it all on doing it yourself. I know a lot of people, me especially, when I left, I had people that was always like, yeah, I can help you. Or my sister said, yeah, come live in my house. And I was felt like if I was going to do this, I was going to do it myself. I was going to show I could do it myself. And, and I did. But I also had a high school education. I also worked in the engineering field for 10 years. I learned a lot of things. And I know a lot of people don't have that background. I know a lot of people are just taught to, bre- to, to breed and have kids. Right. And... There's support out there. You just got to look for it and ask for it. And there are plenty of people that will help. So don't expect expect to do it yourself. Ask for help. People will help you. And you can accept the help or not. But, 
and I ask for advice, I know a lot of the hardest part is legal stuff. The legal stuff, especially if you have kids, is a really hard part, even for me. And so there are people out there that can help you. And I've been through a lot of stuff. I've got advice on what to do that I've learned. And there's plenty of other people out there, too. So, so ask for help. It'll be given.